0: I know I'm on, okay, Genesis 42, here we go. Now Jacob saw that there was grain in Egypt, and Jacob said to his sons, why are you staring at one another? He said, behold, I have heard that there is grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy some for us from that place so that we may live and not die. The ten, then 10 brothers of Joseph went down to buy grain from Egypt. But Jacob did not send Joseph's brother Benjamin with his brothers, for he said, I am afraid that harm may befall him. So the sons of Israel came to buy grain among those who were coming, for the famine was in the land of Canaan also. Now Joseph was the ruler over the land. He was the one who sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. When Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them, but he disguised himself to them and spoke to them harshly. And he said to them, Where have you come from? And they said, From the land of Canaan to buy food. But Joseph had recognized his brothers, although they did not recognize him. Joseph remembered the dreams which he had had about them and said to them, You are spies. You have come to look at the defended parts of our land. Then they said to him, No, my lord. But your servants have come to buy food. We are all sons of one man. We are honest men. Your servants are not spies. Yet he said to them, No, but you have come to look at the undefended parts of our land. But they said, Your servants are twelve brothers in all, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. And behold, the youngest is with our father today, and one is no longer alive. Joseph said to them, It is as I said to you, you are spies. By this you will be tested. By the life of Pharaoh you shall not go from this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Send one of you that he may get your brother while you remain confined, that your words may be tested whether there is truth in you. But if not, by the life of Pharaoh surely you are spies. So he put them all together in prison for three days. Verse 18, now Joseph said to them on the third day, do this and live for I fear God. If you are honest men, let one of your brothers be confined in your prison. But as for the rest of you, go, carry grain for the famine of your households, and bring your youngest brother to me, so your words may be verified and you will not die. And they did so. Then they said to one another, truly we are guilty concerning our brother, because we saw the distress of his soul when he pleaded with us, yet we would not listen. Therefore, this distress has come upon us. Reuben answered them, saying, Did I not tell you? Do not sin against the boy, and you would not listen. Now comes the reckoning for his blood. They did not know, however, that Joseph understood, for there was an interpreter between them. He turned away from them and wept. But when he returned to them and spoke to them, he took Simeon from them and bound him before their eyes. Verse 25, Then Joseph gave orders to fill their bags with grain, and to restore every man's money in his sack, and to give them provisions for the journey. And thus it was done for them. So they loaded their donkeys with their grain, and departed from there. As one of them opened his sack to give his donkey fodder at the lodging place, he saw his money, and behold, it was in the mouth of his sack. Then he said to his brothers, My money has been returned, and behold, it is even in my sack." and their hearts sank, and they turned trembling to one another, saying, What is this that God has done to us? Verse 29, When they came to their father Jacob in the land of Canaan, they told him all that had happened to them, saying, The man, the Lord of the land, spoke harshly with us and took us for spies of the country. But we said to him, We are honest men. We are not spies. We are twelve brothers, one of our father, sons of our father, One is no longer alive, and the youngest is with our father today in the land of Canaan. The man, the Lord of the land, said to us, By this I will know that you are honest men. Leave one of your brothers with me and take grain for the famine of your households and go. But bring your youngest brother to me, that I may know that you are not spies but honest men. I will give your brother to you, and you may trade in the land. Verse 35 now it came about, as they were emptying their sacks, that, behold, every man's bundle of money was in his sack. And when, they, and when they and their father saw their bundles of money, they were dismayed. Their father Jacob said to them, You have bereaved me of my children. Joseph is no more, and Simeon is no more, and you would take Benjamin. All these things are against me. Then Reuben spoke to his father, saying, You may put my two sons to death if I do not bring him back to you. Put him in my care, and I will return him to you. But Jacob said, My son shall not go down with you, for his brother is dead, and he alone is left. If harm should befall him on the journey you are taking, then you will bring my gray hair down to Sheol in sorrow.
1: Eventful chapter. Starts off here that the famine has finally hit, the one that Joseph talked about. They had seven years of plenty. Now the devastating effects of the famine have hit. There's no food. When you go to the refrigerator and all that's in there is ketchup and baking soda. And you go to the cupboard and there's nothing in there. I don't know about you, but it's time to panic. And they do. In verse, the first verse here, it says, And Jacob saw that there was no grain in Egypt. And Jacob said to his sons, listen to this, Why are you staring at one another? So what had happened there? They didn't know what to do. Come on, it's a little funny, isn't it? Hey guys, you're just standing there looking stupid, looking at each other. They're all just like, there's no food. But yet crisis does that to some people crisis paralyzes us and we we don't know what to do and he he just basically says to them you know you don't know what to do there they're caught in this thing and you're just staring at each other so he he steps up as the patriarch of the family and 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 he exercises his leadership and this is what i want you to see when all the people around you don't know what to do uh you know there has to be a leader someone say amen Everything rises and falls on leadership. Now, you know, Jacob, who we call Israel now because God changed his name, is not a perfect man, but he steps up and he, he, you know, he kind of assumes his leadership role. Now, leaders have to have foresight and they also have to have the ability to take action in crisis. When everyone around you doesn't know what to do and they're standing there like his sons just looking at each other, someone has to lead. And Israel does lead, and he steps up, and his his leadership and his foresight and his ability to understand what to do in crisis again prevails. In verse two, he knows exactly what his family needs to do. While the young men are standing around, they don't know what to do, he instructs them. They have grain in Egypt, there's food in Egypt. There's no food here, there's food here. Where should we go? All right, it's pretty basic, pretty simple, yet, These guys are paralyzed with fear. They don't know what to do. He tells them, go to Egypt, get some grain, take some money. He instructs them to go down and buy the grain so that they'll have food to eat and they won't die. Seems basic, but until he stepped up and led, nobody was moving. Understand, there's leadership principles in here that are for all of us. If there's things going on in your world, in your house, in your business, and it needs leadership, and you're the leader, please lead. And if you don't, get, don't get angry that everyone's going to stand around you with that big dull look on their face. What should we do? There's, there's no food to eat. It's a diverse crowd tonight. Verses 3 to 5, the 10 brothers are sent on a mission to preserve the people of God. They don't realize how dire it is, but this is the fledgling nation of Israel here. These men are going to be the 12 tribes, uh, God's people, and and there's no food. So this trip is to preserve the people of God. Uh, Israel uh, knows that he's got to send them. They've got to go on this trip. He sends all the boys, but he keeps Benjamin back. Now, he already lost one son, Joseph. Okay, and he thinks Joseph is dead. They all do, but now he's become overprotective of the only other son he has of his beloved wife, Rachel, who has died, so he's got these two boys, and remember, we said favoritism was something that was in, in this house, and it was an issue that birthed a lot of problems. Well, he's still got his two favorite sons, and one of them's gone, and he's thinking, there's no way I'm letting this group take my one last favorite son, On the journey. So you tend you can go, but he stays. And you say, Well, what is this all about? You know, it's really about and he says it, I'm afraid that harm will befall him. Did you hear that? What'd he say? I'm what? I'm afraid. What did Jocelyn say tonight about fear? And the uh, fear is something that cripples and paralyzes us. Now listen, he's moving in fear here. Why? Because he's had a bad experience. He sent Joseph out there, and he never came home. And he doesn't know it yet, but he's been deceived. All he knows is that he's only got one son left from his beloved Rachel. Now, his fear produced mistrust, and it produces overprotectiveness. And while we can say that these things are unhealthy, I think all of us can relate to the fact that as a parent, when you you lose a child, that there's going to be fear involved. So we can definitely identify with him. You know, if we've had bad experiences, and many of us had, you know, we can't give ourselves over to fear because it's unhealthy. Some of us have had bad experience in churches. So do we quit going to church? Some people do. That's why there's empty seats. There's a lot of people who've had bad experiences. And they allow fear to grip their hearts. And then what do they do? They throw the proverbial baby out with the bathwater. And we see these unhealthy patterns in uh, Jacob's house, in Israel's house, of favoritism and fear. And there again, they're reoccurring themes, and and we understand why he's afraid, but yet it is unhealthy for him. Verse six, uh, what an amazing coincidence occurs in verse six. The brothers who sold Joseph now stand before him. In fact, they bow before him. Does that sound familiar to anybody? You know, Martin Luther King wasn't the only one that had a dream. Joseph did too. And in his dream, everybody bowed to him. And nobody liked that dream. But now they're hungry. So they're in the bowing mood. Okay? I could hear them all bowing and their bellies just going... But here come these brothers, and they're, on, they're en route to see the brother that they cast away that they don't know is alive. The famine has driven them to this place, and they're going to bow before him in just a little while. And it's almost as if God planned it all out, because God did plan it out. And though it didn't make sense to anybody at the time, we're going to see the, the prophetic dream that Joseph has come to f- full fruition. It's going to come to pass. Verses seven and eight is really profound to me. It says, when Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them, but he disguised himself so that they, and spoke harshly. And they said to him, where have you come from? And he said, from the land of Canaan to buy food. So he recognizes his brothers, you know, but they don't recognize him. You know, and I don't know, you know what he did to disguise himself. He looks like an Egyptian now. But I want to say some things about this. He instantly recognizes all of them and some years have passed, but they don't recognize him and you say, "Well, why is that?" I'm going to tell you why they didn't recognize him. Because in the time that Joseph was separated from his family, he changed. Who likes change? Nobody. Joseph had changed in that time. The roughness and the harshness of the situations he had put, been put through, being sold into slavery, being in Potiphar's house, being falsely accused, being thrown in jail. All of these things had changed him. He would changed. Joseph had grown. He had prospered. His gifts had become developed. He had achieved some things, and actually he had blossomed in all his afflictions. Yet his brother's Pretty much stayed the same. So he recognized them, but they didn't recognize him. May I say to you that when you allow yourself to run the race that God has for you, it will change you. It will change you to the point where the people who refuse to go on the journey who didn't change won't even recognize you anymore. I want to change. I want to grow. I want to achieve. I want to be promoted. Are you willing to go in the pit so that you can get to the palace? Joseph was, and he kept his faith and he kept a good attitude and he was changed. He recognized his ragtag group of Motley brothers instantly. Yet somehow, some way, they don't recognize him. And it's because of all the change that had affected his life. Now, in verse nine, his brothers bow before him and Joseph remembers the dream God had given him. You know, at that point, even though there's a lot of emotion, there's a lot of stress there, it almost must have been, you know, a comfort to his spirit to to remember the dream and to see it come to pass right in front of him. I wasn't wrong. I wasn't crazy. I wasn't just a cocky, arrogant kid. Hello, come on tonight. I heard the voice of the Lord, and he spoke to me, and now what he said to me is coming to pass right in front of my eyes. Some of us need enough faith and enough guts to walk out what God has said to us so we could get out there and watch it come to pass and know that God has spoken to us. Amen? Well, did he speak, or didn't he speak, or was I hearing God, or did he just eat too many chili dogs, or did I have a dream, or was it a vision? God speaks. We need to learn to listen. We need to take steps of faith. We all want the blessings Joseph has, but not too many of us have the, the faith and the guts to walk the road that he walked Yet in, in verse 9, he sees it. It comes to pass. They come before him, and, and they bow down to him. And the, the dream is fulfilled in that sense. But he sees his 10 brothers, and immediately he, he, he kind of puts them through the ringer here. But I want you to see some things. He's not just tormenting them for the sake of tormenting them, mostly. I think there's a little bit of that in there. Come on, how many people have brothers? All right, so you know what I'm talking about. Yet there's an element of where he's about to put them through the ringer to prove their character, and also because he has a plan here. He, he calls his ten brothers spies, and that's a serious charge. When you come to buy grain and you're starving, the interaction you want to have with the people who are in charge is very polite, very cordial. It wants to be you know, kind of systematic. We pay, we get the grain, thank you very much, and let's get out of here. Okay, Being accused of being a spy, I mean, is a total deal breaker on every level. Now they're in trouble. Now they're an enemy of the state. Now they're not getting food. They're going to jail and probably going to be executed. So, you know, you see a little bit, uh, there's a method to the madness here, but yet you got to see there's a little payback involved. You know, these guys, it's their turn to sweat. They're not going to go in a literal pit, but they're going to go into prison, and they're going to suffer, and there's going to be anxiety. And you say, well, why do they have to go through that? Because, listen, we reap what we sow. Amen. Amen. And we can cry about it all we want, but we're going to reap what we sow. That was Shane crying back there. Yeah, And it's no fun to reap what you sow. But you're going to reap what you sow. And these guys are, in verses 10 through 17, Joseph puts his brothers to the test. He calls them to account for their words. Now, see, he wants to test them here because, you know, he, he wants to see if they've grown, if they, how they feel. There's some proving that needs to happen there. And he, you know, and they say, We're good men and we're not liars. And I'm thinking, Really? How you know? I mean, that takes some—that takes some hutzpah. That takes some guts to say we're good men. You know, I wonder if they looked at each other when they said that we're we're good men. (laughs) Really, you guys—you threw one of your your own brother. I wouldn't call that good. But he wants to prove them. He wants to test them. He wants to make them sweat a little bit. So he trumps up some bogus charges that they're spies. And you know. No one can disprove that. He makes the accusation. You know, he's refusing to believe their story. You know, it's almost comical when you read it to, to see like h- how he just deals with them and creates all this anxiety for them. But it does have a godly purpose. In verses 13 and 14, they, they tell Joseph they're 12 brothers, okay, from the same father. Now 10 of them are before him now. One of them is ho- at home with dad and the other one is no longer alive. How do you think Joseph felt at that moment? One is at home, oh, that's my little brother, Benjamin. And we're the 10 that are before you, and one of us is dead. And there stands Joseph with that ringing in his ears. And everything within him had to be screaming, I'm not dead, I'm alive. God has preserved me, and everything God has said to me has come to pass, and you just bowed before me and fulfilled my dream, and you don't understand, I'm not dead, I'm alive. But yet he keeps his composure. Notice the integrity and the composure of this man, Joseph. It is an amazing model for us to emulate. You know, they give an explanation. There's 10 of us, one's at home, one is no longer. I can't help but feel like, you know, at this point, Joseph is making them sweat a little bit, but he has a bigger purpose here. Here's his purpose. He wants to reunite his family. Everything within Joseph wants to see his father again. He'd been separated from his father. Everything in Joseph wants to see his little brother Benjamin again. Yet he maintains his composure and he maintains his integrity and he plays out this process here so that the reconciliation will be possible and that the things that he desires in his heart will come to pass, but it takes composure. How many can say there's times in life where you could have had the thing you really desired, but your lack of composure blew it for you? The word, come on! Oh, everybody, all of us are going in. You know, you—if you could have just held your tongue for a few more minutes, come on, right? If you could have just not said that—that that thing that is now rehearsed over and over again—you said, fill in the blank: composure, self-control. Do we have it? We better get it, because it can cost us. Have you ever known someone with a ton of talent but no self-control? They don't produce much, do they? Mmm. Joseph has self-control. He's controlling himself right now. Yeah, he's making him sweat a little bit, but he wants to see his family reunited. He's beginning to realize the culmination of God's plan and what the purpose was. He decides to test them. And so he wants to see if they've grown in integrity there. And he jails them for three days. Now, listen, the anxiety and the uncertainty of being accused of spying is one thing. Now, to be thrown in an Egyptian jail? Man, this is stressful. I, I'm getting stressful just preaching this year. I'm just stressing out because like, could you imagine, now they deserve it. But even when I see people get what they deserve, I I don't enjoy it as much anymore because I, I didn't get what I deserve. I got grace. Anybody else get grace? You know, if we've gotten grace, we shouldn't enjoy when people get what they deserve. You know, it's a a fine line to tread, amen. There's a lot of people. Now, when people get what they deserve, you know, we should just back off and pray because there go I except for the grace of God. (laughs) These guys are really, they're getting it. And, you know, in hindsight, it's probably a little comical, but now they're accused. They're thrown in the jail. They're accused of spying three days in the hole. It's a very serious situation here. None of them know how this is going to turn out except for Joseph, and you know what, I think he's kind of playing it by ear as he goes here himself. He decides to test them, and he jails them. The first idea he has when they're in jail is that, you know what, he's going to leave them all in jail and let one of them go back and get Benjamin. Now there again, see how Joseph is working this out here? He decides in verse 18, that's not, that's not a great idea. And here's, here's where the, his integrity and his compassion come in. There's people of his household, his family back at home starving. There's no food. Bacon, soda and ketchup sandwiches, that's it, okay? So he knows if I leave these guys all in jail and let one of them go back, none of that grain is gonna get back there and this is gonna hurt my family, it's gonna hurt the people of God, it's gonna hurt the little children. So he decides not to do that. Now, he could have done that if he was a bitter man. He could have done that if he was a spiteful person. He could have done that if he just wanted revenge. But none of those things are in his heart. He wasn't a bitter man. He wasn't a spiteful person. He didn't want revenge. Did he deserve to desire all those things? You bet your boots he did. A lesson to all of us who wanna get our pound of flesh, who wanna you know, make people get what they deserve, who wanna make people suffer. Listen to me, we are under grace. So we got to be very careful. And we're going to see that Joseph has a sense of grace here, and he is very careful in the way he deals with this thing. He wants to throw them in jail, but he decides not to. Listen, you know, to verse 18. He says something that's pretty profound here. Now, Joseph said to them on the third day, do this and live, for I fear God. So I want you to focus in on that part. I fear God. He's going to give them an instruction, and he's telling them, all right, I'm going to let you, I'm going to let you go. I'm not going to keep you all here, uh, but the reason I'm doing this is not because, you know, I'm compassionate towards you. It's because I fear God. Now, I want you to zero in on that because it's very important. If you and I have to be tough or hard or, you know, show our teeth in the situation, and there are times where we have to. We always have to do that with the fear of God. Let's talk about this a little bit. Joseph could have been hard on them. He could have jailed them. He could have left them there forever. He could have let the people back home starve, but that wasn't the type of heart he had. Why? Because he feared God. You and I, at times, have to play hardball with people. Hello? Anybody still alive out there? There's the, oh, no, Christians are always doormats and have to just be nice to everybody. No. Sometimes you and I, whether it's coworkers or family members or children, sometimes you and I have to make rough, hard decisions. And we have to play hardball with people. There are times even when the most godly person has to show their teeth. Listen, Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, flipped tables and threw chairs over and made a whip out of cords. And he wasn't just going, he was whipping some bots. He was a carpenter, okay? He could swing a hammer. He could swing a whip. So there are times when Christians have to do hard things. But when we do them and how we do them, we have to do all of that in the fear of the Lord, okay? Because the minute you and I cross the line and now our actions become sinful, we're in a bad spot. The minute you and I cross the line and we become vengeful, we're in a bad spot. The minute you and I cross the line and now we're spiteful, <laughs> it's not righteous indignation anymore. Now it's wrath. And vengeance belongs to the Lord, not us. So listen, when you and I have to be tough, let's temper it with mercy. When you and I have to discipline others, let's temper it with mercy. You say, why do I have to tem- Can I just? No, because we have to do all of that in the fear of the Lord. It's a good teaching tonight. I wish there was more people here to to soak this in because our generation really needs this. We really need this. We need to understand how to behave and how to act and how to be godly even when we have to be tough. And so in verses 18 through 20, Joseph decides to be gracious. Why? Because he fears the Lord. Not because they don't deserve more sweat, and more punishment, and more anxiety. He, he wants his brothers to go back, bring the grain to the impoverished family, and he will keep one of them. But they must bring Joseph back to prove their story, to prove that they weren't liars, to prove that they weren't spies. And he wants to see his little brother again. So he lets them go. Uh, Verses 21 through 24, before they go, the the brothers, (laughs) the mothers, the brothers immediately conclude that the reason they're going through all of this tough time and all of this problems and being falsely accused is because the guilt they all share in about how they mistreated their brother Joseph and how they were treacherously guilty of costing him his life. Now, listen to their observation here. Uh, unbeknownst to them, you know, Joseph is listening in because there's a translator between them, but he obviously understands their language because it's his language. So uh, they think, you know, uh, we've really blown it here, we've sinned, but he gets to listen into their conversation. Then they said one to another, truly, we are guilty concerning our brother. Oh, I don't know how he controlled himself at that point. Because we saw the distress of his soul when he pleaded with us, yet we would not listen. What did they just say? They saw the horror on this kid's face. Remember when I preached through that part of the text, I said, I hope they remember the terror on his face when they went to sleep at night. I hope the pleas were still ringing in their ears when they went to sleep at night. I hope they felt totally destroyed over what they did to this young man as he begged them for mercy and they gave him none. And you know what? Those things did haunt them because right away, as soon as they're in trouble, that's the first thing that come out of their mouths. We're guilty. We were treacherous. We did wickedly. And the Lord is punishing us for this. So, you know, when you listen to how they feel, because we saw the distress of his soul and he pleaded with us, yet we would not listen. Therefore, distress has come upon us. Yes, exactly right. You've reaped what you've sown. A great observation. These guys show a little bit of understanding. It's the people who who act wickedly and do treachery. And then when the shoe drops on them, they go, I don't know why this happened to me. I don't deserve this. Those people are stunning to me. You can't think of anything in your life while you might. Man, man, anything at this point in my life, I think I deserve everything. Yeah, I I must be the only sinner here, but you know, like when stuff hits my life, I take an inventory of what's going on with me and I examine myself. David said, search me and know me and see if there be any wicked way in me. That's the way of the righteous. Amen. The wicked always think they're right. These guys had a glimmer of hope in them. They knew what they did was wrong. They were obviously broken over it. And they begin to, right away, they say, oh man, we had this coming. We sowed this. This is exactly why this has happened to us. Verse 22, Reuben chimes in to the situation. Now remember, Reuben was kind of an advocate there, but he wasn't able to stop what happened. He said, Reuben answered them saying, did I not tell you do not sin against the boy, yet you wouldn't listen to me. Now Joseph was listening to all this. And what does Reuben do? He gives you the quintessential, I told you so. The big brother, you didn't listen to me. I was away, you sold him. When I got back, he was gone. I told you not to do it, but you did it anyway. Reuben is broken. He's like, now I'm gonna reap You know the failure in leadership here, what's been sown. It says now, he says this, now comes the reckoning of his blood. Wow. Think about that. What a position for these guys to be in, knowing they were guilty, knowing they were uh, reaping what they had sown, knowing that the reckoning of Joseph's blood was now upon them and they were gonna pay for what they've done. These guys are getting a crash course in brokenness and repentance and they get three days in jail to think about it. Verse uh, 23 and 24, Joseph is listening to all this. He gets a great picture of their actions. He sees who's, who's guilty, who stuck up for him, who didn't. And you know, you've got to think this is therapeutic for him in some way. There's some reason why God is allowing him to listen in on this. Because you know, as the one who was betrayed, there's a lot of questions in his heart. This is bringing some closure and some resolve for Joseph that was necessary. He gets to listen in on those who treated him so badly and see, you know, well, this was the dynamic. This is who was for me. This is who against me. Reuben stuck up for me. There, These guys are broken over. Th- they, you know, they know what they did was wrong. And while it doesn't make it better or justify it, for Joseph, it's got to bring some type of closure so that they can move forward. Verse 25 through 28, Joseph continues to play hardball with his brothers. And he continues to, I I think, you know, he's having a little fun with them. He's playing games with them. Listen, Joseph gave orders to fill their bags with grain and to restore every man's money in a sack and to give them provisions for the journey. Thus, it was done for them. So they loaded their donkey with grain and departed from there. As one of them opened his sack to give his donkey fodder at the lodging place, he saw his money and behold, it was in the mouth of the sack. Then he said to his brothers, my money has been returned and behold, it is even in my sack. And their hearts sank and they turned and trembled to one another saying, what is this that God has done to us? (laughs) Now at this point, You know, it's almost funny. Here they get sent back, and they're like, "Wow, we barely escaped out of there. We got to go home and convince Dad, you know, to see if he wants to get Reuben back." And then they open up, you know, their sack to feed the donkey, and their money's in there. Now what? Now we're going to get accused of stealing. Now we're now we stole it. Now we're going to be thieves. Now we're traitors and liars and spies and thieves. They're going to hang us all. If you're not laughing, I don't know what to do with you at this point. Joseph's playing games with them. My mom says, good. See, that's that Italian lady. So. He's playing games with them. Oh, my money's all... I mean, could you think uh, they're going to bring this stuff home and their father's going to hear what happened and they're going to have to explain why they still have their money and he's going to think, these bunch of knuckleheads, what did they do? What did they do to me? <laughs> Come on, if you have children, you know. And as, you know, as a child, it's going to be hard to explain this one to dad. I mean, they're grown men, but, you know, they still got to answer to him. And they say, what is this that God has done to us? So at this point, they really are totally convinced they're reaping what they've sown. They're being punished. You know, uh, things are not going to go their way. This guy in Egypt is going to get them. And now, you know, there's a money issue involved here. You got the grain and you got the money and you're accused of being spies and they don't know what to do. Verse 29 through 34, their brothers minus Simeon arrive home and they tell their father all that had transpired. Now, I'd love to be in on the, you know, the telling of that tale. But they they give an account for what's happened. They inform him that the lord of the land, you know, was kind of abusive to us, and he accused us of being spies, and he talked harshly to us. And you know, he wants to see our brother because we said, you know, we said that you know there are eleven of us, and one of us is dead, and you know, and the father must have said, why did you have to tell him our business? And could you just kind of imagine the conversation here? I mean, there again, God didn't include it in the Bible because I'm not sure, you know, he wanted us to hear some of the things they said. But, you know, a hard story to sell, a hard pitch to give, and, you know, these guys are not only, you say, well, what's the point of this? I'll tell you what the point is. Not only was Joseph giving them back what they gave out, but now, you know, their father whom they betrayed and and took the the son, he was giving it back to them. These guys were getting it from every angle, and they deserved it. But in judgment, God remembers mercy. It's painful, it's a reckoning, but it's going to turn out okay. Simeon is stuck there. The chapter is about to end here. In verse 35... Uh, the money issue when when Israel when Jacob finds out that they have the grain and the money then he really flips out and in verse 36 it finally comes out how Jacob he know how he feels here he says to his sons there their father Jacob said to them you have bereaved me of my children Joseph is no more Simeon is no more and you would take Benjamin all these things are against me wow You've almost got to feel sorry for Jacob. Yeah, he was a usurper. He was a heel catcher. He sowed some things with his brother Esau, and he was still reaping the residue of that. So, if anything, here, I want all of us to see how bad behavior doesn't happen in a vacuum and evaporate. It follows us through life. So, be careful what you sow, because 100% of the time you're going to reap it. Oh, I'll just pray for crop failure. God has crop insurance. <laughs> All the farm people know what I'm talking about. You're not going to get crop failure. You're going to reap what you sow. And Sometimes God is gracious in the reaping of it, but we reap what we sow. It's just a, it's just a natural law. It's a spiritual law okay? So Jacob's reaping what he's sown. He, he's still the residue of that. He's dealing with kids who betrayed him. They're reaping what they've sown. You know, Joseph has given it to him from one angle. Now Jacob has given it to him from the other angle. There's a lot of anxiety in the family here. I want I want you to picture this. This is a real situation, and it's life and death here, and it's it's upsetting. So the whole household is upset. You know, they they don't know what to think about the money. They don't know what to think about this guy who's accusing them of spying. In verses 37 and 38, the chapter closes down. You know, Jacob is basically saying, I'm not sending anyone anywhere with you. So, you know, Reuben tries to step up and put his neck out on the line uh, for Simeon's safe return. He's like, you know what? He says to Jacob, you know, if I'll bring him back, if I don't bring him back, you can put both of my sons to death. I mean, think about that statement. A grandpa, now, oh, I get to kill my grandkids now? Well, that's a great offer. You know, I've lost one son. You got one in jail. You want to take my son from my favorite wife, and and then I get to execute my grandchildren as a bonus round. Crazy. Yeah, crazy stuff. Dysfunction. Dysfunction. Even God's first family had it. So if you got dysfunction in your house, don't feel too bad. God's people have always been crazy. And if you think you're not crazy, you're the craziest. They say two out of three people are mentally insane. If you, if you look around and everybody looks normal, it's you. Crazy stuff. Reuben tries to step up. He's trying to do whatever he could do here. Israel is not going for it. Jacob wants no part of it. Listen to this final. The final uh, pitch here is this. He says, I'll go back. I'll get him. Let me take Benjamin. I'll be responsible for him. No way. Jacob views the matter. It's too risky. I'm not letting my one favorite son that I got left go. And, and, you know, I'm not swapping him for Simeon. Simeon's going to have to stay. So there again, favoritism again. How does Simeon feel in there? Ain't nobody coming to get me. Guess I'm taking one for the team. You ever been the one taking one for the team? God's got a plan in all this. I want you to see the stress and the anxiety of it and realize, you know, God's people have always went through things like this. And the thing we have to remember in all this is that we reap what we've sown. So be careful what you sow. Let's bow our heads. Father, I just thank you tonight for your goodness and your mercy. I thank you tonight for all the gems you've tucked into this book. We thank you for Genesis, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that all these principles on leadership and stepping up and having integrity and walking in faith and allowing the purposes of God to come to pass in our life, to to have faith as Joseph did, to, to walk a hard road, but to see with his own eyes the fulfillment of God's promise. Father, may we be so courageous as to dare to do those things. And would we have integrity in all our actions, Lord, realizing that in every situation, what we sow, we reap. And Father, we see in the Old Testament law covenant, the reaping was painful. Thank you for grace tonight. Thank you for mercy tonight. And it comes from the cross of Calvary. Thank you, Jesus that we have so much more grace in the New Testament. But help us to be aware that these spiritual laws are still in effect. And Father, we don't sin in a vacuum. The wages of sin are death. They always have repercussions and consequences. So Father, help us to walk uprightly before you and to exercise integrity in all that we do. I ask it in Jesus' name, Amen. 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 Well, bless the Lord. We are going to have the sleighs come and give us a missions update and maybe a puppet show. I'm not quite sure. So Larry and Susan, come. Let them know you appreciate them.
2: Thank you, Pastor Rick. You're Um, welcome. Hello, everyone. We're so glad to be here, and we are really blessed to just be able to in person thank you for being on our partnership team you have blessed us tremendously amen and we want to give you a little bit of an update and um first we're going to start with um a video of the new testament dedication which happened uh, in march of 2018. this is the new testament we worked on in salasaca ecuador uh we were in we began in ecuador in 2001 so 15 years for us but another team started 14 years before that. So, uh, thank you. Um, May God be glorified. Wow. Um, That was an exciting day. You got to see the day of the dedication, but what really excites me is when I hear about people reading his word, people buying his word, people downloading it on their phone. Salasakins can now get the New Testament on their phone and listen to it. Sometimes we hear people... um, play it over the loudspeaker so their whole community, community can hear it. So um, we are thankful to the Lord for bringing us through that and, and now put it in his hands and let him use it as a tool to reach those people. Susan and I, for those of you who don't know us, uh, we lived and worked in Ecuador uh, for 15 years. We raised our family there and uh, we learned to speak Salasaka Kichwa. Uh, it's a language completely different from Spanish. If you want, you can take a look at the New Testament afterward. Many people think it's like Spanish, but um, it's a language indigenous to South America. Um, and, again, I want to thank you for being our financial partners, but I want to thank you also for being our prayer partners, because none of this could ever happen without God's power. Without him... We can do nothing, and the little things that we w- sometimes do in our own strength—they're worth nothing. So, we we need the Lord's wisdom. We need the Lord's grace and, and His Spirit at every moment. So, please pray for us. Pray for the Salisakins that they will learn to read His Word, to understand His truth, and that many Salisakins will come to know Him. Um, now we live back in the U- United States. Uh, we located to North Carolina in. Uh, 2016, where uh, Susan and I started doing new mission- ministries, and uh, I wanted to share a little bit with about that with you, so you know how to pray for us now. And uh, Susan works with the... Um, lang- <laughs> Learning and Development Department at JARS. And JARS is a uh, affiliate of Wycliffe Bible Translators that we're members of. And the Learning and Development Department basically trains new missionaries in lots of different ways. And Susan does a lot of the behind-the-scenes work, but she also, um, one of her favorite things to do, if I'm not mistaken, is to work as a facilitator for the Intercultural Communications course. And this is a course that all new missionaries have to go through before they leave for the field and teaches them lots of things about how to interact with different cultures but it's also kind of a vetting program. Um, while they're going through the course they're being um, watched and, and they're being evaluated for whether or not they're really ready to handle the stresses of the field. And uh, Susan works there as a facilitator and table leader and uh, sometimes you have to be harsh with people and in love and with the grace of the Lord tell them you're not, you're not ready. You need to work on these, these different things before you're ready to go. Um, I have had the opportunity now to work as a translation consultant and I um, am now working with two languages in Venezuela. Our SIL team is working with five languages that recently finished the book of Luke. And as many of you probably know, Venezuela is going through tremendous economic crisis and shortages of everything you can name, um, basic, uh, basic necessities, food, toilet paper, water, gas. Um, they have dip much difficulty finding and tremendous inflation. So for this project to move forward, it's a testimony to God's power and to the faith of these people, our brothers and sisters in Venezuela who are very dedicated to the task. And um, they inspire me. Uh, we've been down there, well, um, our team, Susan did not go, but I have been down to Colombia where we uh, meet the Venezuelans. They come across the border, and we do training workshops with them. And then um, just recently they had a workshop, a translation workshop in Venezuela where they're working on the Book of Acts and they send me their work that they've done and I check it through a back translation. So they'll translate into their language and then do a back translation into Spanish and then I will look at their Spanish, check it and give, me, give them my comments over the internet. Just a real brief uh, introduction of how Bible translation works and how we, we check their work. So that's my job with the Venezuelans and I also work with a team in Peru I've been recently given this project to check the book of Leviticus. So play, pray for me. <laughs> it's, it's a challenge, let me tell you. Um, but um, as, as I was saying, the, the Venezuelans are a true inspiration as how they push forward to, to do this work despite so many shortages, so many difficulties. I, I honestly would say most of us Christians, good Bible-believing Christians would have said, no, it's just not the right time to work on this right now. But they push ahead, and they meet their deadlines, and they keep going. And I wanted to quote um, what what the project administrator, our Venezuelan partner, said just recently in an email. The Lord is the owner of this work. He takes care of every problem that comes against it. And at every turn, we have seen Him working in order that the peoples of Venezuela can have his message in their language. And um, since being in the U.S., um, I have really come to be aware that it's true, God is the owner of these projects. It's not about how hard I can work or how much I know or how much I can do, it's what God is going to do. And he does 100% of it. We, he calls us to do a little bit. But we're like that little kid that is helping out the father because the father wants to spend time with his kid. <laughs> and we're just unworthy servants. But we are dedicated to seeing God's work done in terms of his message being in the languages of these people and that he will be glorified in every language and nation. So... I don't know if my 10 minutes are up. I forgot to look at the time. (laughs) But once again, we, we really want to recruit you all as prayer partners. We need a prayer team. Many of you have never met us, and maybe this is the first time you're hearing about the work of Bible translation. If you would like to join our partnership team, please see me afterward. You can uh, get our prayer card, you can sign up to get our regular updates, and you can take a look at the New Testament in Salasaka, Kichwa. Thank you very much.